0: Donna and I'm Carrie and we are Paranormal Chicks episode 268 so Donna and I were just
1: on the way home but like in separate cars because we met and ate it uh the big tomato as Colby calls it because it's a place with like a huge tomato outside of it Anyway, I was on my way home and I passed a car that I was like, this is like a complete, you know, you live in the South moment because the person in the car was vaping and the big like bellow smoke that came out. I was like, oh, dang, good. The mosquito truck's already out. Oh my God. I was like, wow, you know, you live in the South (laughs) wind. Nope. It's a vape.
0: Oh, God. You know, I always get stuck behind a mosquito truck. At least they don't stink anymore. True. Man,
1: back in the day, and you'd be riding your bike, and that thing would come around. Blowing that stinky-ass stuff. It's a wonder it didn't make us all sick. Right. Do you know what movie I made Colby watch this week? Overboard. Good one, but no. The Temple Grandin movie. He had never seen it. Oh, really? So freaking good. If y'all haven't seen it, it's about Temple Grandin. Claire Dane plays her, and she has autism spectrum disorder, and, like, she grew up in like 50s 60s you know and it's just like how she kind of figured things out on her own and how her mom and her aunt like stood up for her and like their big thing is different not less and i don't know. it's such it's so amazing so if you haven't watched it it's on hbo max right now because it's been coming up on my tiktok I showed Colby something. I was like, have you ever seen this? And he was like, no. And I was like, we've got to watch it.
0: <laughs> so something I watched was season two premiere of Undercover Underage. Woo, girl. It started out with a bang. Is that kind of like uh, To Catch Predator? It is. It is. But it's this group called Sosa. And it's a woman. Her name's Rue. And she's like 30-something. And season one, she was the decoy. And like, you know, she has a whole team that makes her look so much younger and, mm-hmm. and, you know, she does all the things. Well, now they have some more decoys, you know? So, I mean, it's good. So everyone can't just like, know it's her. And, right. Oh my God. It was so good. And, I mean, it's terrible because yeah. you see like these people and they make a note to say, I'm only 12 or I'm only 14. They're like, it's cool. Da-da-da-da-da, you yeah. know? And I'm like, oh my gosh.
1: This is so terrible, but every time I watch like to catch a predator and stuff, I always like felt bad for the person for the I think for the ambush and like how I knew their life was destroyed. But it's like, no, they did that. Mm-hmm. They were meeting an underage girl. Like they deserve everything that happens to them. Yeah. Now, who doesn't deserve it is like their wife, their kids, all right. of the dominoes that fall after they get in trouble for doing these terrible things. Yeah. But it's like like I would start to get this empathy and I'm like, wait, No,
0: fuck him, you know? Right, I know, I do too. But you're exactly right, because they always are like, oh no, my wife's gonna find out. Motherfucker, you weren't thinking about her. Uh Uh-huh. Or your family, or anything else. You were not thinking about them, so don't feel sorry about it now. So one of the guys, the cops roll up on him, and he's like, I'm only here to bowl. I'm only here to bowl. And they're, you know, they go on about their thing. And he's like, I have a wife and kids- is this a felony? And they're like, yeah, you're being arrested right now. Wow. Do you remember that time? I think I talked
1: about it on the podcast where Colby's mom and I were watching Cops, and this guy gets arrested for solicitation of a sex worker, and he has to call his wife. Like, it's, like, on camera, and he calls his wife because he was, like, stopping off in the area to do a job. Like, they had, I don't know, let's say he was, like, a courier for something. So he had to, like, still finish the job after he got done with the sex worker, but he got busted and was going to jail, and so he had to call his wife to be like, I need you to come get this and like finish the job. Oh my god! And he was like, "Hey, babe, Uh I'm being arrested," and you hear hear her being like, "For what?" You know? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, "You know." Well, he says a sex worker, but obviously says it differently. And I think he even says like, "Yeah, again" or something like that. I'm like, "Oh my god, what the fuck?" He's so calm. Like I would be losing my mind
0: 100
1: but also it was like again right because you know how i feel about a sex worker like i feel like we should legalize it let's like let's make sure that they get proper testing mm-hmm. and access to contraceptives like let's make this safe let's tax it let's do like let's make this legal so i am not bashing the sex worker right but i'm saying like you're in a monogamous relationship you're spending your family money and your wife has no idea. And since it isn't regulated, you could be getting an STI and taking it home to her because who knows if you're having protected sex or not.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Like that's not fair to your wife. That's why I think we should make it legal. And if you are a sex worker, make everybody wear a condom. Or if you're not a sex worker, make everybody wear a condom. <laughs> And two, especially when it comes to human trafficking, it's always the sex worker that gets in trouble and not the person trafficking them because they're too scared to say anything because they don't want to die when they're just trying to feed themselves or their kids or whomever. Well, that's my soapbox. I haven't had one of those in a long time. You haven't. Well, you know who gets all my soapboxes? I mean, do you want me to take it away or... Well, I I figured you would come in with like a realistic answer and say Jax because he gets them out of my trash can. (laughs) True story. That dog loves soap. Like he will eat whole bars of soap.
0: Oh, Lord.
1: And right now he's also on a toilet paper kick. I think I told you all that. He'll like (laughs) destroy it and then just eat the cardboard in the middle. It's something about cardboard. Literally any cardboard. (laughs) But really and truly, Patreoners! Brittany S. from Idaho. Ashley J. from North Carolina. And Lauren S. from Washington. If you want an episode shout out and all of the extra content they're getting, which includes an extra episode a week. So if you're like, dang, I am caught up on the podcast. I need more. There is a shit ton on Patreon because we've been doing this a long time and you will get the entire backlog. So head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast.
0: We just had a live this past weekend. And we did a game. It was called, like, You're on Mute.
1: And the lab was in the Patreon-only Facebook group. Well,
0: actually, technically, it wasn't in
1: the Facebook group because we started it on YouTube because it's better quality. But that's how you access it.
0: <laughs> but you can watch the replay if you join Patreon. But oh my gosh, I love when people get the screen grabs. Yes, I go back and laugh so hard. I was so intense on trying to figure out what you were saying because it's one of those things where it like magnifies your mouth.
1: I have never in the history of gameplay done so terribly giving clues. It was bad. But guessing for you, I was like, got it.
0: Yeah, you knew everything. I was like,
1: Damn couldn't give a clue to save my life what did you say oh the about the armadillo I said we run over them in the south
0: yeah I was like what well, was the like, fuck I was like not intentionally like and they crack <laughs> I'm like what the hell and then she said it was also a cake it was also the groom's cake and still magnolias and that's what I knew I was like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like what also, are you talking about yes
1: and also nastiest description ever yeah running over it
0: yeah <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so you get some extras like that too. It's not only episodes. Well, before Donna jumps into her story, we got to talk about HelloFresh because they are back. We said it before. We'll say it again. HelloFresh is pre-portioned ingredients with seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. You don't have to walk the aisles. All you have to do is peruse online and see which recipe you want to cook.
1: And right now, for the month of May, HelloFresh is celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And they have authentic recipes for a limited time. And they're partnering with Chef Serbi Sani of New York City's Tagmo Restaurant. So you are getting chef-quality foods delivered right to your door. I'm all about the delivered to me because that is truly the hardest part about eating at home. Is one, planning out the meals. And two, getting the food. When it's just delivered to me, I'll cook it home. But if you make me even go do a grocery store pickup, I'm still not going to freaking do it. (laughs) But if you deliver it to me, I will cook it home and it will help me save money. Because you know what? HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and
0: it's 25% cheaper than takeout. And look, HelloFresh is so easy that even I can cook it. I love that they give you the picture of what it's supposed to look like. Girl, yes. And then the step-by-step instruction that seriously is so easy that I can follow them. And everything is pre-portioned out. So that helps me 100 Even whenever you're picking the meals
1: that you want delivered, which you can do a couple of weeks in advance on the app, you can be like, okay, this week I want these, you know, depending on however many meals you choose. Like you could do, hey, I want two meals a week. I want three meals a week. I want seven. You know, you can kind of pick however many meals you want a week and you go through and they have pictures of them. And so that helps me too. Especially if it's something new that you want to try and you're like, sure what that is. It's like,
0: oh, that looks yummy. Right. Well, and you know, I don't like to cook meat because, you know, uncooked meat freaks me out. Well, with the vegetarian stuff, I don't always know exactly how it's supposed to, like, if you just said butternut squash and this, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm so glad that they go into detail about it. And they have the picture and I'm like, oh yeah, that looks yummy. I just had spinach and mushroom pasta, like raviolis, like stuffed raviolis. I don't know all the cuisine terminology here, But anyway, it was fantastic. But that's a recipe that I would be so intimidated to try on my own without HelloFresh having those prepackaged ingredients, having everything delivered to my door. And the step-by-step of how-to? Yes. So you got to get in on this action. You got to go
1: to HelloFresh.com slash Creep16 and use promo code Creep16 and you're going to get how many? 16 free meals plus...
0: Free shipping. So again, that's hellofresh.com/creep16. That is one six for sixteen free meals plus free shipping. But don't forget to use code creep16. Go to
1: hellofresh.com/creep16 and use code creep16 for sixteen free meals and free shipping. Y'all
0: care of is back because they care of us and you. Oh, I like that. So care of is a subscription service and it ships high quality vitamins, supplements, and powders that are personalized and tailored to your specific needs. And you know what? They ship them right to your door each month. Y'all know that that's our favorite part of everything. That is my love language. All you need to do is go online, take a short but in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, your health goals, and then in return, you get a personalized doctor-backed recommendation. And the thing is, the quiz can be retaken at any time. So as your needs change, you can retake the quiz and Kara will be tailored to your new needs. Summer's coming up. You might be traveling. And
1: Care Of makes it so easy to take these vitamins on the go because when you get your package, it's like a a box sleeve kind of thing with all of your vitamins in like an individually packed daily dose. You just pull it out and you can take them on the go. You're like, oh, I'm going to be gone seven days. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Take me on your trip with you and take your seven days of vitamins. And if you're like me and you have as Donna calls them, a pill minder and it's for AM and PM, but you don't actually take PM medicines except for vitamins, but you're really lazy and you hate doing your pill minder. So you fill up the whole thing to last you two weeks instead of one care of is perfect because I can just take those vitamins out and take them
0: every night. Cause that's when I like to take them and I can fill up my whole pill minder with my actual pills. Again, some people walk in the light. I take AM and PM and it's filled to the brim. But for me, I can open the packets and put them in my pill minder so I take them all at one time. And that's what she also does on the weekends. <laughs> one big gulp. Well, if you're not taking care of yourself, who else is going to take care of you? Uh, care of. That's so true. Because you know what?
1: If you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to care for others. And there's no better time like the present. So head on over to take care TakeCareOf.com. and enter code CREEP50 to get 50% off your first care-of order.
0: That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com and enter code CREEP50 for 50% off your first order. Okay, well today we're talking about a home that has some true crime and paranormal ties to it. The house is located at 805 West Linden Street, Boise, Idaho. So shout out to our new creepster from Idaho. This house is known as the Boise Murder House or the Chop Chop House. Chop Chop? Yes. And other than how it looks run down right now with some boarded up windows and trash outside, you wouldn't think anything sinister happened in this house. It's an ordinary craftsman style home, two floors, a little over 2,500 square feet. So it's pretty big. And if it was cleaned up, it looks like it would be a home on one of the ABC Family sitcoms. Ooh, the ones on Friday nights. Mm Mm-hmm. So the house doesn't have a lot of rich history like the ones I normally cover do, but it's thought to be built in 1910. And, you know, everything happened normal, you know, nothing to report. However, in 1987, there is an incident that would forever change the house and stain its reputation. So picture it, June 30th, 1987. This case involves three men. Daniel Rogers, who was 37, Darren Cox, who was 31, and Preston Murr, who was 21.
1: I could not believe you didn't say shit about that last name. Murr Cox. Oh.
0: <laughs> you know, um. I mean, it's not Christmas and you're bringing Jesus Murr. <laughs> That's why I was like, why? Who are you? I don't know. And today is when you found out I was a changeling. Right? Because like, <laughs> that's a common last name and like dull with a cock joke. But like, you? I know, me? <laughs> so earlier in the day, the three men had gotten into an argument after they all attended a funeral. Because, you know, death brings out the worst in people. Sure does. Or, you know, I mean, can bring out the worst, but... mm. It does. Mm -hmm. But then add alcohol into the mix and emotions go haywire. Which is what happened. Anyway, it's kind of unsure what the argument was about, but it's thought to be about some guns that Daniel had stolen from him and that Preston was believed to be the perpetrator or that he was involved somehow but the cops were called to the scene of the funeral and the three men were cited with disorderly conduct. Well, a little later in the afternoon of that same day, Preston called the police and said that he received a threatening phone call at his sister's apartment. He said the caller threatened to kill him and so he didn't feel safe. Now, Preston and his girlfriend were staying at his sister's apartment at the time. So it had to be someone who knew Preston personally to know to call his sister's apartment. Okay, so the plot Thickens. So Preston called Daniel and was like, Look, someone just called me threatening me. We have to find out who is behind this. So Daniel was like, Come meet me and Darren at the Circle K. So Preston was like, Bet I'll be there. Did you just say bet? You know, I'm talking to younger guys right now. Oh my God. (laughs) So he left the apartment and was seen using a payphone at the Circle K. The three men discussed the stolen guns, the phone call that Preston had received. And Daniel was like, okay, we need to go back to my house. Let me get my gun. And then we're going to hunt for these stolen guns. Seems like a good plan, said no one. (laughs) (laughs) So Preston called his girlfriend at some point and told her what they were going to do. So the trio went to the house on Linden Street, because that's where Daniel and his wife lived. Around midnight, so not the same day, but basically the same day, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All three men got into a fight, and Preston was shot in the shoulder. Preston was badly injured, but he was able to escape and run next door to a neighbor's house. He was banging on the door, pleading for any kind of assistance. The neighbor didn't open the door, because that's scary as fuck, and you know, you can't trust, like, the whole ruse to get the killer in and Mm -hmm. all the things, But the neighbor did call 911 and reported that there was a situation going on outside his home. He said that he heard someone pounding on his door. He heard someone scream, what sounded like, let go of me. And then another loud scream that sounded like someone was in distress and a lot of pain. The neighbor also reported that there was a man who was being chased by another man who ended up catching him and then dragged the man back into the house across the street. The neighbor also said that he saw one person hosing down the porch and another was looking around, like, in the yard with a flashlight. Good God, how much time did they have? Right? So you would think with all that information, the police would be like, on our way, ASAP. Near, near, near. That's not the police sound. What's that? I think that's the ambulance sound. Uh, honestly, I can't get past your sound. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that's just what we're sticking with. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. But no one was ever dispatched there. So the neighbor waited up to see when the police are, was going to arrive. Because, you know, hello, he reported this. You got to see what's going on. But they didn't arrive. And so a little while later, the neighbor went to sleep. However, the police were called again in the morning by that neighbor who had phoned in around midnight because he saw something that looked like blood on his front screen door. Now, the police finally arrived, but of course, it was too late. And as they canvassed the area, they found bloody handprints and fingerprints in multiple locations. Another neighbor's house on the sidewalk. You could just really imagine what that neighbor had witnessed earlier that morning. You know, Preston was struggling to survive. He was fighting for his life. And it was completely ignored by law enforcement. Mm Mm-hmm. So what had happened was when the two men got Preston back inside the house, they took him down to the basement where they shot him in the back of his head. Oh, my God. Which killed him. Oh, my God. And then they used an axe and a knife to dismember Preston's body. Hence the name Chop Chop House. Oh, my God. What an awful name. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why I didn't assume it was something like that, but that's a terrible name. Yeah. They ended up cutting Preston's body into 13 pieces. Jeez. Wrapped all of the body parts in plastic bags and then drove down to Brownlee Reservoir, which is on the Idaho-Oregon border, and discarded the bags of body parts. Now, eventually, Daniel and Darren were arrested and convicted. Daniel was convicted of first-degree murder, and then Darren was convicted of being Daniel's accomplice and received six years for his part in the murder of Preston Murr. And I want to say, at first, Daniel and his wife were arrested because of drugs that were found at the house. But when the body parts were discovered and police connected the dots and arrested Darren Cox as well, it all kind of happened when Darren spilled the beans about everything and he said he only participated out of fear of Daniel. So, you know, Daniel and his wife were probably like, whew, okay, like they only got us on the drugs and all the things, you know, and then nope, all the truth came out. So in 2000, James Howell was listed as the property owner of the house. He never lived there, at least I don't think, but he rents the property out. And I believe he's related to Daniel on his wife's side, like by marriage. And some of his tenants, you know, got more than they bargained for. So the house is pretty close to Boise State University. So it was a pretty great spot for students who wanted off-campus housing, but didn't want a long commute. Now, there's a lot of things that are centered around the basement. One rumor was that people had witnessed blood dripping down the basement walls, but the thing is, most agree that the basement has a very eerie, creepy vibe down there. And even if they don't believe the house is haunted, they all agree that just something is off with that basement. KBOI Channel 2 News covered the house and interviewed Deanne Davis and her two daughters, They lived there from 2008 to 2009. And one of Deanne's daughters described the house like a feral animal, where it's pretty, but no one really wants to go near it because they're too scared. And they said, you know, like everyone knew about the house. And so their friends didn't want to come over. Strangers outside would want to come in. They all said that they didn't believe it was haunted per se. You know, they never heard footsteps or doors closing by themselves. You know, all the things that people who say they have a haunted house experience. But one of her daughters said that the basement was dark and the feeling that she got there was completely different than the rest of the house. And she never went down there alone again. Deanne did say that there were some uneasy feelings there. It just didn't feel like it was theirs, even when they lived there. It just felt like it belonged to someone else. Someone else was there. But it wasn't anything that she could point to it being haunted. 107.9 Light FM interviewed some residents during Halloween about living in the house and stuff. And one guy, Joe Weatherman, He lived there for two semesters while he went to BSU. He said that there was so much lore around the house that it did give off a pretty eerie vibe, but never really had anything happen to them. He said that everyone agreed that you could just tell something wasn't right, but they had nothing to pinpoint it to. But he did say that they were typical college guys and that they would take people down and scare them in the basement because it was creepy and did have a weird feel. So they're like, yeah, we're going to capitalize on that and scare the girls and, you know, all the things. There's some people who did not live in the house, but they had their own thoughts or experiences. Like Rachel R. She said back in 2000, her family was searching for a new house. So they went and toured the house on Linden Street. Rachel said that she can still recall how abandoned the house looked and how the basement was the creepiest place she had ever been. And then another person, Christy W., said that she lived near the house when she was a kid and she saw a woman in the upstairs window and it looked like she was banging on the window and screaming, but there were no sounds. Christy said she will never forget witnessing that. And there was another person who said that they saw a woman in like a Victorian gown there, but that was the only two things I saw about a woman. But the story that sticks out the most is one told by a person named Dan D. <laughs> dandy. <laughs> well, living in that house was anything but dandy. Bunch. He was also interviewed on 107.9 Light FM, and Dan and some of his friends had rented out the house, and he was like, yeah, it was creepy, but it was a good house. Until one night. Dan said everyone was upstairs in one of the side bedrooms, but they heard someone walking up the stairs. Now, everyone was accounted for, but they heard the footsteps for sure. But they're like, oh shit, someone has broken into this house. So Dan and his friend B went to check it out but they didn't see anyone or any signs of a break-in. So they were like, okay, 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 okay. Let's go stand on the porch so this fucker knows that we're on to them if someone's trying to prank us or something. Like, they're not going to get one over on us. And Dan said it was late. It was around midnight. And he kept seeing shadows out of the corner of his eye, which we all totally do. Carrie says it's her hair, but, you know, who can know? Um, (laughs) because it is. No, I know. And it's my floater. So there's that. But he was on edge thinking someone was fucking with them. Well, he didn't say anything. But then his friend was like, dude, I'm seeing shit. And Dan was like, okay, okay, me too. Okay. So they confirmed each other wasn't hallucinating. And so they were like, wait, let's just check the yard and stuff. Like just in case. Well, Dan was out in the front and he looked back up at the house and in the main bedroom upstairs, he saw something in the window. He said all he can describe it as was a big black oily looking thing. He said that he watched it move towards the dresser, stop, then went to the door and disappeared. So Dan let his eyes wander down to the porch again, still trying to understand what he just witnessed. But that's when the mirror that was sitting next to the door caught his eye. He looked at it and saw a ball of oily blackness that seemed to be moving down the pillar on the porch. So Dan blinked a few times trying to see if his eyes were playing tricks on him, but the ball got bigger and bigger. It grew so large that it took up the whole mirror. And then Dan said that as he stared at it in disbelief, he felt the weirdest sensation he had ever felt in his life. He said it was like ice fingers just sinking into his body. And that's when he realized the ball of oily blackness had moved down the pillar and disappeared traveling through Dan. Basically, he felt weird when the ball used him as a toll bridge. What? You don't like my metaphor? As a toll bridge of all things. Yeah, he had to pay the price. You know, icy fingers when he went through. Made sense in my head. Shouldn't say it out loud. Yeah, only in your head. (laughs) Well, Dan continued with the story, and he said, being the tough guys they were, they ran down to the Chevron gas station, called their friends back at the house, and they were like, hey, we know you're inside, but uh, get your keys and get the fuck out of the house, because something's in there with you. Dan said he never stepped foot back in that house. Like, it chilled him to the bone. But his friend B still lived there for a while, but soon moved out, too. Dan was like, call me crazy if you want. I don't care. I know what I saw. To me, I think people have made it up in their minds that this place is haunted. And that's why they're so uneasy. However, it could have some residual energy because a lot of the things are like around midnight, which is when the murder happened. And it was a brutal murder. The woman that people see, I'm not sure about. They could just be making that up to like add to the lore of it, you know, and hello, everyone knows like a woman in white, you know, a Victorian dress. It's like, oh, that's a ghost. But it could be like a hot spot for other ghosts to come. But also it could be one of those times where, you know, the collective belief in something sinister there is what creates a negative energy. So like a tulpa. That's what I was about to say. Are you talking about like, like a tulpa? Yeah, because so many people are like, oh my God, it's, it's haunted. It's got to be haunted. Or just even like, do you feel how eerie it is in the basement? And then, you know what I mean? You just kind of create that atmosphere down there. So my question to y'all, could you live in a place that had a brutal murder like that, where the person was killed and then dismembered? Or even if it wasn't a brutal murder, could you live in a house where it was like a well-known murder? Well-known, I couldn't do. Like I could never
1: live in like John JonBenet Ramsey's house. That's exactly the house I was thinking about. Could never. Because like your house is always a spectacle. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Which is kind of like how Deanne Davis said the house was for her and her daughters. Like people would want to come in to just see where it happened.
1: Yeah, that's, that's weird to me.
0: We've asked this question on the
1: podcast before. I feel like I could live somewhere that someone was murdered, but I don't think it could be anything recent. If it was like that, like oh, they were murdered nineteen eighty seven. That I don't know. That's like in my lifetime, yeah. You know? So maybe out of my lifetime is my <laughs> is that's my cutoff.
0: I don't know if I could. Like a brutal murder like that I know all murder is brutal, but dismemberment is just something who it it's gets like a me. whole
1: yeah it's like a whole nother yeah and two those guys were looking for a fight when they murdered that guy because they went and got a gun and then went looking for these guns like they were looking for a fight
0: I know and the thing is is that you know they had all gotten in that fight earlier had the cops called on them mm-hmm. And then it's just like, God, why couldn't y'all just stay away from each other that night? Like, maybe it wouldn't have went down like that. I don't know. But I just feel so bad because he tried to get away. You know, and it's like typical scary movie stuff. Like, Run into multiple neighbors' house, banging on the door, but it's midnight, and you're banging on these doors, saying like they're trying to get me or whatever, you know. And it's like, who do you trust? Do you let them in? Are you letting the killers in? Or you you don't know, right? But that is the Boise Murder House or the Chop Chop House or the worst name on the planet. Yeah, it really
1: is so problematic. Am I wrong? No, you're not. I'm usually not.
0: Okay, well you're wrong (laughs) about that.
1: Okay, y'all know Forensic Files, one of my favorite shows. Everybody loves it. If you don't, I don't know why. The narrator's voice, the stories, the fact that every episode basically ends with the same sentence. It's like, if it wasn't for forensic technology, we wouldn't have solved anything. Love it. Best hotel show ever. Oh, 1000%. And like, shout out Headline News, because it is always on. Right? (laughs) Well, I was watching it the other night going to bed, and this episode kept me up for a minute.
0: Now, if it keeps you awake, I had to know what happened. I know, like, but if you are not getting your sleep, you know what's good. I'm ready for some twists, some turns, some DNA on, like, a fucking bug. So,
1: even if a story that I'm doing is on an episode of something that I watch, I'd, of course, do some, like, side research and see what I can find about the story. Yeah, because not everything's going to be in the episode. Right, and I'm not just going to regurgitate an episode to you. But, y'all, there wasn't shit.
0: Oh, shit.
1: I found, like, well, I'll tell you what I found. But there wasn't shit about this shit. (laughs) Okay, picture it. Lansing, Michigan, 1998. Wanda Mason was a single mom. She was 48 years old, and she had just settled in Lansing, Michigan. I never found anything that said how old her kids were, but I'm pretty sure they were kind of older, like some in their 20s and, and she was actually a grandma. but I don't I don't really know exactly how old her kids were. But in 1997, she had moved to Lansing and had gotten a job working as a clerk at a convenience store. While she was working there, is when the owner of this gas station decided to make it a 24 hour gas station.
0: Ooh, I mean, I love them for the convenience.
1: But that overnight shift, though. No. I don't know how y'all do it. Like, I truly do not know how you do it.
0: Yeah, because it, it's the difference of me staying up all night, but like working, right. having to do something? Function? Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-uh. Well, and the
1: thing is, is that Wanda wanted the night shift because what she would do is she'd work all night and then she would be able to spend the time during the day with her family. And I'm like, Wanda, when
0: do you sleep? Right. That wasn't what I was going to say is, okay, I could do it, but I would need sleep during the day. So I would not be a social person. And she has responsibility. And you said she's a grandma. So of course she's going to want to be with her kids. But Wanda was in it, and she worked the
1: very first night shift that this gas station offered. Now, the gas station wasn't in, like, a super high, crimey rate part of town. Crimey rate. Okay. Look, we're a true crime podcast. But Donna was like, look, let's put up some security cameras. You know, people like to rob gas stations at night. That they do. And props to this owner
0: actually putting cameras in.
1: For real. And, like, of course, I know that Law & Order SVU isn't real. But, like, how many times on that show are they like, oh, those cameras aren't real? Right. On October 10th of 1998, at 4 in the morning, well, 4-ish in the morning, a
0: couple had come into the gas station to pay for their gas. I know this wasn't a thing back then, but if it says please see cashier, whatever, I go to another pump.
1: Absolutely. I'm not. Well, I'm getting out because I'm pumping it, but I'm not going in. No. I mean, unless I'm craving
0: some candy. (laughs) Usually I have my house slippers still on. I'm just going to be honest.
1: So the couple comes in to pay and they find Wanda behind the counter laying in a pool of blood. So they call 911 and are basically like, I think she's bleeding to death. I don't know if she was robbed. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like, get here. Shortly after this, the police, the ambulance, everybody gets there. And when they get there, they realize that Wanda has already died. She died from a single gunshot wound to the head. So of course, they're looking around for evidence and they find one 22 caliber long shell casing. So, the weird part is that right after this happened, like, police had not been there very long, hadn't even, like, gotten their bearings, basically, when a 21-year-old named Donnie comes to the store with some friends. Donnie is Wanda's son. Oh, my gosh. So, they're like, oh, you just, like, happened upon this store Right after your mom's murdered? Like, what are you doing here? We haven't even notified the family. Like, this is weird.
0: Well, he might not have known his mom was dead and he was coming to the gas station.
1: So Donnie sees his mom and absolutely freaks out because, like, it's his mom laying in a pool of blood and dead. And he, you know, says he has no idea. But it really just engaged the police spidey
0: senses. I mean, it is, like, four in the morning, so that is a little weird. But Lori used to have a friend who worked at a gas station. And we would go up there all the time and just hang out with her Mm -hmm. because she worked the night shift. And, like, you know, I would play the, um... Claw game? The claw game and stuff. That doesn't surprise me at all. I'm going to go ahead and just jump ahead and tell
1: you it it isn't the son. But the police were like, well, he and his friends had been at a strip club and the son doesn't have a lot of money or like no money, basically. And so did he go to the strip club and spend too much money and then know that basically his mom was an easy target, like that gas station? And did something maybe happen? What have you? But I think it was a bunch of twenty-one year olds that had been in a strip club and was like, Hey my mom's at work, let's go by. You know? Yeah. And then like later they were saying how he was like in distress. And I'm like, yeah, he just saw his
0: mom lying in a pool of blood. Yeah. Of course he's distressed. Could you imagine? No. Like, imagine getting a call that your mom's dead. Your heart's gonna fall out of your butt. You happen upon the crime scene? Right. That's a whole other
1: level. One of the things that breaks my heart so much about this story is that not long before Wanda had been murdered, she had been talking to her family, you know, because, you know, they're probably like, oh, girl, you working that overnight shift. Like, that's got to be scary, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, oh, I'm not scared. If somebody comes and robs me, look, I will help them carry the money out to their car. That's not my money. I'm not worried about it. It is not something to die over. So you know that Wanda wasn't going to try to be the hero here and stop the robbery yeah so i think too before they really ruled out the son hearing that they were like okay so did he think really his mom was an easy target because he knew that she wasn't going to resist she's just going to give the money you know so i think that that's part of why the police were like maybe he did do this and eventually police did find that the killer only got 351 dollars in cash Which we've done stories where people have gotten killed for less money. But still, it's like when you put a price on someone's life, you took someone's life and you got $351.
0: Is it really worth it? No. But okay, here's a Donna question. Do people ever take the change from the registers? I'm sure. Because I feel like there's stuff where they're like, dump the register in the bag.
1: And I'm sure some change goes flying. Oh, true.
0: I hate change, so I was just wondering. Oh, Lord. Yeah, but that change you rolled of your daddy's got you a lot of good stuff. It sure did. It sure did. And you know what? My quarters always get you the gumball. (laughs) You know
1: what? When we were at the Big Tomato earlier, I was like, ooh, I think I got a quarter in my purse that Donna gave me one time, and then I left without it. I was like, oh, it made my jaw hurt. Oh, yeah. I love a gumball. So immediately after Wanda's killed, police are canvassing the neighborhood looking for things, and they find a young man running, basically, from the crime scene with a bag in his
0: hand. What did you do?
1: wee
0: Near, near, near. Okay, whatever it was that you did. Yours was way more accurate, and you weren't even trying to be.
1: <laughs> so the police stop him to ask him some questions. What's going on? Take him in for questioning, because he's running away from a murder scene. And they quickly realize that his bag is just a... A bag of candy. He's a 20-year-old African-American. And when the police were like, why were you running away from the crime scene? And he was like, I'm a 20-year-old black man. Of course I ran away. Like, I didn't want to get caught up in this for something I didn't do. Yeah. So like exactly what happened? Yeah. He, that's what he was afraid of. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. The police didn't really have any evidence. They had the shell casing, but they did have security footage. So, from the security footage, they were able to prove that that 20-year-old that they stopped was not the killer. He literally had a bag of candy and had no gun on him. Which, I mean, if he was the killer, he could have dropped the gun somewhere. But pretty sure they had a canine unit. So, you know, if he would have just dumped the gun in the bushes, they probably would have found it. So, their suspect list is kind of dwindling pretty quickly. The guy running from the crime scene, the son, now it's kind of looking like a random murder, which is as we know, the hardest to solve. Now, I don't know how current this next statement I'm about to make is because this is an older episode. This said it was like season five, episode 18, but then you know how their seasons and episode guides are so weird. Yes. So this next sentence, I'm not sure how accurate this currently is. Basically, they said... Full action videos is 30 frames per second. Now it's probably like 700. I don't know. But back then it was 30. These security cameras only had four frames per second. Oh, so
0: it was like stop motion.
1: Okay, Ron Howard. So yeah, while the owner of the gas station slash pick a pack slash convenience store did a really good job of having cameras, they got shitty ones. And not only did they get shitty cameras, they used an old VHS tape instead of going and buying a new one.
0: Oh no. So the image was really shitty. Yeah, it probably had those lines on the top and everything. There's no telling. So while police did have a video,
1: it wasn't a good one. But what they could see was that at 3.49 in the morning, a car pulls up that they can see. A man walks into the gas station. He's casing it. He's walking around, checking it out. Wanda's in the back, probably getting ready to stock some shelves, whatever she does in the back room. He kind of peeks around, checks her out, looks around the store, and leaves. Well, shortly after that, he comes back. And this time, he's got his hood up. And when he comes back, he goes straight back to where Wanda is in the back room. And from the video, he has her walk back to the cash register and give him the money. Based on the video, Wanda does exactly what she told her family she was going to do. She was going to give them the money without putting up a fight. And that's exactly what she did. The man takes a step back like he's about to leave. Wanda is hiding her face with her hands, terrified. You can tell she's crying. She's terrified when the man puts the gun to her head and shoots her point blank.
0: Oh my gosh. It is the most senseless. Like you got the money. She gave you the money. She, You were leaving.
1: You were literally walking away and you changed your fucking mind and you ended a woman's life. Wow.
0: I don't feel like he changed his mind. I feel like that's what he was going to do.
1: But it's the step back. Like, I'm going to leave. No, man, I'm going to kill her. You know what I yeah. mean? Was that his plan? Do you have second thoughts? Like, why kill someone? Right. Like, even, okay, let's keep it selfish. Let's keep it, okay, he didn't want to be recognized or what have you. And so he was going to kill the witness. But like, dude, you're going to get caught. You're you're going to. So get caught for a murder or get caught for robbery and then be able to get out of prison. Like, so if we're thinking completely selfishly from his perspective, I mean, from a normal logical perspective, don't fucking kill anybody. Don't rob anybody. But definitely don't fucking kill somebody.
0: Yeah. Well, and it wouldn't even be grand larceny or anything. I mean, it would be like with the... But it would be armed robbery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would probably be
1: going away for 20 years. Yeah. But 20 years or a life sentence. Right. And, you know, not murdering someone. Right. That whole somebody gets to go home to their family. So as the killer is walking out of the gas station, though, they can see him putting the gun like in his coat. So they know that he left with it. So police had a sketch artist try to sketch the person that they saw in the videotape because they were able to like pause it and... Do some like different framing to where they were able to get a pretty decent picture of the face. They made the sketch public and of course people started calling in tips. But they were like, well, I mean, is this, I mean, how good are these tips? Because like the image is grainy. We're doing this sketch off of this grainy image, but let's try. Eventually, police get a tip from a woman that says, hey, I think that that sketch is my ex-boyfriend. And he lives in a town pretty close. His name was Ronald Leon Allen. Now police do some digging on Ronald and they find out he has some arrests for assault and some drug stuff. And so they pull up his mugshot and they're like, "Well, he really does look like this guy on the security camera. Like, he really does look like him. And so, as they do more digging, they realize that old Ronald is a suspect in another shooting in Jackson where he lived. And that at that crime scene, there was also a 22 caliber long shell casing found. So, police were like, oh, Ronnie Ron's starting to look real good for Wanda's murder. But we got to prove it. And how the hell do we prove it when we've got these two shell casings, but like no gun to compare them to? I should say, too, around this time, the police were still kind of, ooh, about Donnie, her son. And so they really tried to connect Ronald and Donnie together, thinking that Donnie actually had Ronald do the robbery, but then shit went down. You know, because, again, he thought his mom wouldn't put up a fight, but we know that that's not what happened. They end up taking the video footage because they know that based on Ronald's mugshot, he's 5'3". So they're like, as Donna would say, bet we can prove this on his video. So they do their forensic files business and they set up basically everything back like it was like they use the camera with you know at gas stations they have like the height chart as you leave oh yeah 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 they, ha- they used the like sunglasses display they used all of that wait to- do they do the height chart for yes this
0: purpose i had no fucking clue
1: carrie slow blinks at donna for his <laughs> realization
0: literally i've always wondered why they do that
1: it's so you can see how high your jump shot is before you like,
0: what the <laughs> hell did you think it was for? Just that people like to measure themselves. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the dumbass that's always like, let me see if it's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Love that for you. Um, okay. So they use all the things and they figure out that based on the security footage, the guy was 5'4. However, old Ronnie Ronald, in his. Mugshot, he's barefooted. So, you put some tennis shoes on that motherfucker and he's 5'4, right? So, they're like, gotta be him. So, they bring Ronald in for just a conversation like, hey, come down. You know anything about this shit? Like, where were you? You know, all the things. And they're like, wanna take a polygraph? And he's like, bet.
0: <laughs> uh huh. I can't uh-huh. even say it with a straight face. Mm-hmm. It works.
1: Uh, flash forward two episodes later and I'm actually going to be saying it because uh-huh. I've made fun of Donna for so long. Okay, but really, he's like, sure, I'll take a polygraph. Motherfucker fails it with flying colors. Oh, Lord. They're like, okay, this isn't enough though. Like, we gotta we gotta do some more digging. So the video was sent to a company named Viridian. These are the people that basically the government gave all the money to to be able to fix The images from the Hubble telescope. Oh shit. Because like they were like all jacked up and they were like fix them we need good images.
0: I'm glad that you told us exactly what they said. These are jacked up fix them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean bet.
1: (laughs) So Viridian photoshopped the fuck out of this like not taking out details taking out the shit that doesn't go there like wavy lines and all the things that I talked about earlier and it's described like they focused the camera Like they sharpen the image? How they described it was, it's like taking a thumbprint off your eyeglasses.
0: Okay. So that
1: you can just see the image more clearly. Because it helped when they took it from VHS to a digital copy, and then Viridian did more to it. So they had a better image, but it was still so far from a distance. So they were having to be able to match what was in the picture to what was in the video to their suspect. So they got a forensic anthropologist that superimposed Ronald's mugshot onto the security camera. They were able to line up like, okay, his eyes match, his jawline match, everything matches. Now, as people started getting wind that Ronald was the suspect, people started talking. So a guy named Bobby said that Ronald had shot at him six or seven times and actually hit him once in the arm and that he had used a 22 caliber handgun and that this happened in September of 1998. Then his cousin, Anton Williams was like, Yeah, I saw him shoot at Bobby. And furthermore, I went through all his stereo stuff, and I found a gun hidden in a speaker box.
0: Oh, shit.
1: So you're only putting a gun in your speaker box when you're trying to hide shit. Mm -hmm. So police get the gun and do the shooting in the water test and figure out that it matches not only the shell casing at Wanda's crime scene, but the shell casing left at that shooting in Jackson as well.
0: Oh, wow. Additionally...
1: The car that they saw pull in the gas station from the video footage matched Ronald's car. He had an older Oldsmobile Cutlass that had chrome wheels, chrome rearview mirror, and you could see that on the security footage. So police arrested him. He went to trial and long story short about the trial, he was found guilty. He was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Investigators were like, Wanda's family don't know how lucky they were that this case was solvable. I mean, thank God they had the security footage because this was a random killing. Cases like this don't always get solved. So, Ronald, of course, appealed. And at his appeal, he was like, hey, Bobby and Antoine should not have been able to testify. Why? Well, three reasons. They said that it didn't prove the defendant's character. It wasn't a relevant issue and basically unfairly, like the benefit versus the prejudice that it could cause didn't outweigh, you know, like it caused more prejudice than benefit basically. But the courts were like, "Mm, no, it should have been in there.
0: Yeah. It's showing uh, that he shot
1: someone before with the same caliber gun. Yeah. And that's the cousin that found your hidden gun. Right. Right. The other thing that they said, so in a trial, you have, have you ever heard of a davis Fry hearing?
0: Uh Uh-uh.
1: Okay, so if you're going to use a forensic technique that's new, you have to have a davis Fry hearing to prove its validity. And to say like, okay, yeah, this is a new type of, let's say when DNA first came out. Yeah, DNA's new, but this is why it works and this is how it works.
0: I need you to do the case that they had to do that in, the first one. I mean, I'm guessing it's Davis Fry. I don't know what the original Davis Fry thing is. It's any,
1: like, novel scientific principle or technique or methodology, and you have to prove that it is recognized within that field. His attorneys were like, okay, you can't argue the shit that they used for the Hubble telescope because, like, that's proven. But is this stuff that that forensic anthropologist did to superimpose his face— Should that have been admissible? And we don't know because you didn't have the Davis Fry trial. So that should have been eliminated. And so that was like what part of his appeal was on. But during the trial, his attorneys did argue about the forensic anthropologist's information, not about the science itself, Mm. Ronald's defense actually even used an expert videographer that did similar techniques to superimpose and to, like, basically reach a different conclusion. So they weren't arguing the techniques. They were arguing his result.
0: Why do you have to say it 20 times? Oh,
1: God, I forgot. Okay, wait arguing they weren't arguing his technique thank you they were arguing his results thank you so the appeals court was like bruh you can't all of a sudden say oh you know what this technique that's actually you wouldn't even need the davis fry like hearing on because this is accepted scientific proof and you yourself used it in your trial so sit your ass in prison so Ronald Leon Allen sits his ass in prison, and his prison record says 5-4 now, just for the record. And he got sentenced for armed robbery for 15 years. He got sentenced for a weapons violation with a felony for two years. And then, like I said, for first-degree murder, he got life in prison. And in prison, he sits at Lakeland Correctional Facility.
0: Wow. This has nothing to do with the case, but... Um, I wanted to ask this earlier, but I didn't want it to be in bad taste. Uh, what's your favorite candy bar from a gas station?
1: Mine? Okay, it depends. Because I can remember being a kid when um, we would ride our bikes across the highway without my mama knowing when we shouldn't have. And we would go to the gas station and get a bottle like a glass bottle Dr Pepper uh-huh. that you could win on the top sometimes Yes yes I would sit there and I would look at the candies going I can only get one which one has the most in it <laughs> Like I'm not kidding and I still do that okay which one's the most You think I would know the answer I don't but it's it flip-flops sometimes old school butterfinger the new one not my fave
0: Not the new one not good
1: But it always was you're going to hate this a three musketeers yeah. Or a Milky Way. Or if I was like into um more
0: like chewy sweet, airheads, and Skittles. Well, I would always get two. Imagine that. <laughs> because the same reason I love the caramellos. Yeah, but that's not enough. It's not enough. So it's like that's <laughs> not enough, but I want it. So I would get something else. And usually like a payday or a Fifth Avenue. God, you're a hundred. But you know also I love little Debbie stuff. God, same. And they taste better when they come from a gas station. They do. And
1: they're usually the double-deckers. So yes. You can peel one of them. <laughs> I peel one of the la- like just like I do my Big Macs. I peel one of the layers off and eat it yes. and then eat the last two layers.
0: Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so actually getting back to your story, I feel so bad for Wanda's son and just, you know, losing his mom, but also being a murder suspect. The thing about this case
1: that when I first heard it, too, I was like, that feels like a
0: hit for two reasons. One,
1: the way Forensic Files kind of described it, it sounded like the very first night that it was ever open overnight, she worked it and this is the night that it happened. Yeah. And, and I may have misunderstood because I watched it like three times. It wasn't the very first night. It was just saying like, she was so excited to take that shift. She worked the first night, you know? So that made me at first think it was hit. But then just the fact that on the camera footage, you see him like kind of go to leave and then come back. Like it's only a step from what, you know, it's just, it's not like he's like turned around and walked away and she was almost okay, you know? Yeah. But it was like a hesitation. And then it just so point blank. I'm like, it just felt so much like a hit.
0: The ending of it just was like, it's so senseless. So random. And the police are right. This probably would have never gotten solved. If it wasn't for
1: the latest updates in forensic technology. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say one of the investigators, I think it was on the episode, said something that I was like, this is so true. He said, business owners basically need to understand you need security equipment. Like Mm -hmm. you need it. But if you're going to get it, Get good equipment. My favorite part was like good equipment, good lighting, good tapes, good cloud storage, whatever. Yeah. But you owe it to your employees. Yeah. You know, and he said like the police agencies, the public, but you, you owe it to your employees. Mm -hmm. You should do your due diligence to take care of the people who work to give you money in your pocket. Yeah. They're working hard for you. Take care of them. Yeah. Yeah honestly, nothing would have saved Wanda. A panic button, a whatever, nothing would have saved her. Maybe if they had where the person couldn't come in and you have to buy it under the glass, that probably would have. But you're going to have to rely on the security footage in a situation like this. And thankfully, they actually had it. And you know, the technology to cipher through the bullshit of the video. Right.
0: Sometimes these are the scariest because There's no rhyme or reason to it. She was just at her job doing her thing and a random robbery happened. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he had been casing it that long since it's now open 24-7. And in that night, it, it was only 10 minutes from the
1: time he got there and the time he came back. Wow. So she probably never even left that back room doing inventory or whatever she was doing. She probably had no idea that he had even come and gone and come back. Right. Y'all let us know what you think about Donna's story. Are you like me and you think it's just some high school kids inflating a story? Or just tell us what you think. Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and all the things, and remember, creep it real and and don't get scared.